Father, we thank you for um, a time for fellowship. Thank you that we can meet each other and just rejoice in this gift of friendship that you've given us. Thank you for screaming babies. Thank you for uh, just and donuts uh, and food and coffee. Lord, you have given us so much. Um, Lord, we pray that we can focus on your word now as, as we look at it and learn from what you have to teach us through Luke's word in, in Acts. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So some of you know that I was in Italy over the summer, and I visited the Roman city of Pompeii. Um, now, Pompeii in 79 AD was uh, covered and destroyed by ash from the erupting Mount Vesuvius. And it basically erupted one day, and by the end of the next day, so two days later, the Roman city was completely covered and destroyed. And I thought, this is a Roman city. Now, I've visited Corinth before, and it's quite a small little, what would now be considered probably a village. Um, but when you go into Pompeii, and they tell you that only about a quarter of it's uncovered, it's massive. What strikes you immediately is how big it is. It would rival some minor cities today. Uh, that's how big it is. And then you're struck by kind of the waste of human life. All of these people scurrying around doing their, their regular daily lives. And that's all ended within two days. Everything is gone. And as you go around, you see, uh, you see the, the restaurants. You see these kind of fast food places, which is interesting. And you see, you see the brothels. And you realize that this was quite a hedonistic city, like a lot of Roman cities. It was uh, the, um, one of the major cities after Rome. It's where the wealthy would go. Um, so it would have been full of everybody searching for those three great temptations, fame, wealth, and power. And those things really... I've been told, are all about control. Even if you don't want wealth and uh, sorry, fame and power, if you just want wealth, it's about control, isn't it? It's about knowing where your future is. If you watch the adverts about life insurance or about banking and about saving, it's about making sure your future is safe. It's about control. It's about what happens to us maybe when we retire, or what happens to our children. And that's a human condition, isn't it? It's we want to be in control. Now, have you ever felt that you are completely out of control? That everything in your life is happening and you have absolutely no say in it? Have you ever felt that you are barely holding on by your fingertips? living day to day or moment to moment. Well, I have to confess, uh, that is something that I, I feel uh, fairly regularly. Um, and that, um, I mean, it's, it's scary, isn't it? Um, and that may sound strange from someone who's a, a teacher, who's in charge of children's education, organizing student trips. But I think 
having spent time with students, that's something that students regularly feel. It doesn't matter whether it was 20 years ago when I started teaching or now. It still happens. Students feel out of control. And from talking to people, I find that actually it happens to adults as well, just as much. But we somehow get better at hiding it and somehow get better at just ignoring that sinking feeling that nothing is going as planned. Well, this passage is uh, about how we can deal with this. It's, it's how we can trust God. I have a friend who used to be wonderful at her job. She gave up her job to become a, uh, a full-time mum. She now has three kids. She used to be, yeah, well, she is very intelligent, very organized, very hardworking, very competent. So when she started, when she had, had two children, she almost had a breakdown because all of a sudden her life was, was turned upside down because all of a sudden she couldn't control everything. Her, her routine was out because children are like that, you know. Things didn't happen as, as planned because children are like that. And we see these movies about earthquakes and volcanoes, and we see that these are tiny little uh, lives. Money means nothing in the face of these, these huge things. So we're going to read this passage, and uh, we're going to see that Paul has absolutely no say in his actions. Paul is, does nothing in these, and actually God isn't mentioned either. But we're going to come to that. So let's uh, read it. Before we read it, we, uh, what's ha been happening in Acts is that Paul is in Jerusalem. And he has gone to the temple. And then the riot has happened. And people have been, uh, the people drag him out of the temple and beat him up. And the Roman tribune, uh, the Roman guard is called. They have to rescue him. And so at the moment, he's kept under guard by the Roman Tribune. Now, he's been to see the Sanhedrin, and uh, they, there's been some confusion there. And so he's being transferred. He, well, he is going to be transferred back to the Sanhedrin later. So we're reading, reading in Acts chapter 23, verses, starting from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. So Acts 23, we've got the ESV version um, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we were ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this, man, uh, take this young man to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, call, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him pri uh, privately, 
what is it you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat uh, more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to, uh, to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him. Tell no one you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers and 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea to the third, uh, at the third hour of the night. Also, provi provide mounts for Paul to ride, uh, ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them at, with the soldiers and rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused and about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was dis disclosed to me that they would, uh, there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they had against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. Uh, and on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go, with, uh, go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrived, arrive. And, and he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's Praetorium. So I'm going to forego my usual three points. I'll try and do a normal 3.7 to, to make this very simple point. As Christians, we can have peace and joy because we trust in God. And he will keep his promises. So as Christians, we can have peace and joy because we trust in God. He is faithful and he will keep his promises. Well, it seems like a, a funny little story and a little bit comical from just looking at it from the outset because there are these 40 men who refuse to eat and drink until they've killed Paul. And you, you have to wonder whether they, they kept to their promises and maybe in the Jerusalem press a couple of days later, there are just these 40 men who are dead because they haven't drunk any water. I mean, I, I can't believe um, how disciplined my, some of my students are with Ramadan, just not drinking or eating through a whole day. But pledging yourself to, to not eat and drink until you've killed a man um, seems quite extreme. And in some ways, you, you have to admire them for that and their devotion to the cause. Um, for a faith that they're willing to die, uh, die for. But in the same way as extremist terrorists, you have to wonder at the mindless, uh, unthinking devotion 
to a cause that treats human life so casually. But rather than thinking about this as a funny little story from a book, I want you to put yourself into this situation. Imagine you are there and you hear about these 40 men who have devoted themselves to killing you. It must have been terrifying for Paul's nephew. It must have been terrifying for Paul's sister and for Paul who was locked up in prison and seemingly having no power at all it must have been terrifying for him. But we know from many times in the Bible where there seem to be overwhelming forces arrayed against God's servant, we see God working. And here we see God working in the small things. God working in the, those little things. Have a look down at this passage and see whether you can see anything that strikes you as unusual. Just have a quick look down, think through the story, and think whether there's anything that strikes you as unusual. Okay. You might spot some things that I don't, and I'm happy to, to, to answer any questions about those if you, if you do. Um, but these are the two things for me that strike me as unusual. Firstly, we have this, I think he, he's described as a youth, it strikes me that he's a, he's a young man, uh, certainly a, almost a boy, um, because of the way the tribune takes his hand. How does this boy manage to get into the Roman barracks? And not only that, how does this boy, you know, how do the, the Roman centurions, why does the Roman centurion then take him to the tribune? Why should he? Why would he? Remember that Jerusalem, Israel at the time, is a hot spot in the Roman Empire. There have been several re rebellions. Okay? So, to let this boy, and even to uh, trust him, you have to wonder how, how does this boy get the ear of the tribune? And, and surprisingly, the tribune is sym sympathetic to this boy. So that's an unusual thing. Secondly, we see a guard being sent with Paul to Caesarea. Now, the Romans were known, are still a byword for discipline and military might. They are known for their, you know, their powerful soldiers. These were career soldiers. They were, they were the ones who built the Roman roads. They would have worked all day and night, or all day uh, on these things. And they would have, be, they would have practiced uh, fighting. So how many of those would you think would be needed to face down 40-odd civilians. Assassins, yes. Uh, determined, yes. But these are Roman soldiers. How many of those do you think would be needed? Maybe 20, 30, 40 if you're, you know, if you're not quite sure. Certainly, you know, the Roman soldiers, fully armed, would be able to take these one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Or if you're being really careful, just in case there are lots of them. Let's put in 80. How many have we put down? How many does this tribune send? 470. We're told by the, the, the commentators that this is about half of the Jerusalem garrison. Remember that Jerusalem and Israel is a hotspot. It's a rebellious place. But he is selling, sending half of his garrison to Caesarea with Paul. Now, Paul is a Roman citizen. 
And so he's, he's an important man, especially compared to you know, the, the usual riffraff that these uh, Romans might be dealing with. He's also born a Roman citizen, so he's, he's even more important. But to send half the garrison with him, with a horse, seems extreme, even for that. So what could have possessed the tribune to do this? Now, the agnostic or the atheist will say this is, this is coincidence, this is chance. But what we have to do, if we believe in a God, is realize that it's God's hand at work. Now, I'm not a great fan of Christian posters or fridge magnets that have very twee sayings. Uh, I think that there is wisdom enough in the Bible. Um, so I, I like when there are Bible passages or, uh, you know, um, clear, clear, well, yes, clear Bible passages. But sometimes that some of these uh, sayings are, are just a, a little bit corny and they could have been said by anyone. But one has stuck in my mind. Um, it was on my sister's wall when I was growing up as a boy. And it read, coincidence is just God remaining anonymous. And that stuck with me. And we see that here. We've got two great coincidences here. And we see it all the way through the Bible. Coincidence is just God remaining anonymous. Here's a little quiz for uh, those of you that are still awake. Um, which, which book in the Bible does not mention God at all? Sorry? Very good. It's Esther. So you can read the whole of Esther, and it doesn't mention God at all. Um, momentous events are happening in Esther, and... It determines the future of the Jewish nation. So as the Jews would have met around once a year to celebrate these, uh, these events and hear the stories of Esther, there would have been no doubt in the Jews' minds that this was God at work. Read Esther again sometime. It's a great story. It's a hilarious story, actually. Um, but again, if you put yourself in it, it's actually a quite a terrifying story but you will see God's fingerprints all over it. God is in control. And this is actually one of the things that brought me uh, to believe. I prayed once when I was a boy, and my answers were prayer. Uh, were, were, were my, sorry, my prayers were answered. And, uh, and it wasn't that, the, the fact that my, answer, uh, my prayers were answered. It was the fact that I looked back and thought, this hasn't just happened once. This has happened many times. And so I was convinced that there was a God out there. I didn't devote my life to Christ at that, that time, but I was started to believe that there was a God out there, that he was someone who answered prayer. But I, am st I still doubt. So why do I still doubt? I still do doubt. And that's my weakness. Despite all God has done for me, I still don't trust, um, and I still doubt at times. And again, that's very human. We're told about that, and we're reassured, and we're given promises, and we're told that he will be there with us. What a faithful God that is. And I'm still learning. 
in all my moves uh, I've made recently with jobs and homes and promotions and this great big move to Malaysia, I'm going to share with you two verses that have stuck with me. One I've shared before. One is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You may have, uh, I've, I've definitely shared this before. So this is one of the verses that I, I try and live my life by. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. He has always made, certainly in the last decade or so, he's always made it very clear where I should be. And in the darkest times for me, and somehow I always hear this verse in the, the old original King James Version, and, and some of you will recognize it in, from Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy, thy staff comfort me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shallow, shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In those darkest times when danger is pressing near, that goes through my mind. And that's why I think it's very, very useful to learn and memorize Bible passages so that they come to you in those times of decision, those dark times. The Spirit says, oh yeah, the Bible says that the Spirit will work through what He's heard. Learn those Bible passages. One more thing that I'm going to note from this passage, uh, so Acts uh, 23, before I conclude. If we have a look down at verse 29, Luke records a description very clearly of, of Paul's innocence. So I'm going to read from verse 26. This is the letter to the governor Felix. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman citizen, note how he leaves out the fact that he was almost going to flog Paul. Um, no, having learned that he was a, a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but, char which, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. That should sound familiar. Again, we should have echoes of Jesus' trial. Jesus was not found guilty of anything deserving death by the Sanhedrin. So what, what did they do? They sent him to Pilate, who sent him to Herod, to send him to Pilate. And what's, what's happening here? Paul isn't found guilty of anything deserving death. So they've sent him to the tribune. And now the tribune is sending him to this governor, Felix. And later he's going to be sent on to Rome. So we're, we're drawn to this conclusion that Paul is following in the footsteps of Jesus. And in fact, in these passages, three times, Paul's innocence is being declared. If that's coincidence, then I'll, well, I'll, I'll let you decide whether that's coincidence. And I preached a couple of weeks ago, 
that if we stand as Christians, if we proclaim that we are Christians, if we share the gospel, then we will face persecution and we will face suffering. Anyone who says otherwise, anyone who tries to sell you Christi- uh, the Christian life on having, you know, promising wealth and comfort and prosperity is selling you a lie. That's not biblical. We're told that if we stand as Christians, we will face persecution and suffering. That's not to say that we don't have wealthy or famous or uh, powerful Christians, but it doesn't promise us those things. It does promise us persecution and suffering. But also, what we are promised is that we will have peace and joy. And one thing I realize from teaching in private schools, that these children of very rich and very wealthy, very powerful, very famous parents still suffer and uh, are just suffering just as much as those, in fact, sometimes more so than those from very poor backgrounds. You know, these parents have just as many troubles. And all our lives, we will still suffer. I, I've, I always say that we, we, because we're so selfish, we have an infinite capacity for self-pity. But if we're standing as Christians, we will face persecution because of our faith. We will suffer because of our faith. And through that, God will give us peace and joy. We are promised that. God has tr- blessed me tremendously. And, but, you know, I've, I've had to suffer for being a Christian. And through that, he's, he's helped me to, to see life in a much more positive and cheerful manner, to, to have peace and have joy in the way that even when I was a Christian, before the suffering, I would say I was still kind of, still a bit moany, still a bit complaining and miserable. I still do that a little bit, far too much. Um, and I know that that's, that's a terrible sin. Uh, and I don't uh, take, the, you know, take joy in the blessings. But he's allowed me to, to have so much more joy despite the, the, uh, the passage of suffering that I, I, I went through. So when everything seems to be falling apart, everything seems to be against you, if you seem powerless against forces that are moving against you, then I hope you'll remember this, this passage, that God works in those small things that he has promised to keep you and hold you. And even if you suffer great things in this life, we have eternity. An amazing eternity that is so much more better, than, you know, infinitely better than this world. And then finally, I'm going to end on this passage from Matthew 10, verse 28. Those, uh, you, should really, you, you should recognize it. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. The forces may be arrayed against you. You may be completely at a loss and out of control. But God will keep you until you have served him. 
He has done, you have done what he wants you to do in this life. And then we have a promise of a beautiful eternity. But even in this life, we have a promised peace and joy. And that is amazing. And that is more than enough. So I'm going to pray to finish. Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God, that you keep your promises, that you are more powerful than anything that can be arrayed against you and against us. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness. We beg for forgiveness of the times that we doubt, the times that we panic, the times when we forget you, the times where we try and control everything for ourselves rather than trusting in you. Lord, help us to see you in the small things, in those coincidences, and praise you for it, to take joy in our life, to take peace that you are in control. Lord, help us to change our lives, and please change our lives, because sometimes we are incapable of changing our own lives. Lord, in fact, we are so incapable of changing our lives. Lord, help us and give us peace. Uh, so that we can model your son Jesus and live for your glory. Help us to follow in his footsteps like Paul is here. No matter what we face, we work for you and we trust in you. For your glory's sake, in your son's Jesus' name, amen.